Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1 and today's message, Romans chapter 1, the discipline of gospel sowing, Romans chapter 1. I borrowed this term gospel sowing from John Nordstrom. I'm glad for it. I think it, it reflects the truth that we plant seeds and God brings increase. I wish that everyone I'd ever given the gospel to had turned to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance and become a Christian, every single one. I wish that were true. But not everyone does. Some people just laugh as if you're crazy. Uh, other people are so convinced that they've already figured it all out. Others are just as convinced that they have some part to play. And when you tell them Jesus paid it all, they're like, yeah, well, he paid most of it, but I still got to, which of course is not true. But our job is just to plant the seed. So that's why I like this term gospel sowing and why I am using it today. But you may have heard other terms, soul winning. People talk about going out soul winning. People talk about witnessing. Those are also good terms and I'm not against them. I just like this gospel sowing term because we're sowing the gospel. We're getting the seed out. We're like the fella in, in the parable that Jesus tells, the sower, who is sowing seed indiscriminately. He's, he's throwing it not just on the good soil, but some of it lands on the path. Some of it lands on rocky ground and some of it on thorny ground as well as, as the good soil. So we are sowing the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Look with me as I follow along as I read out loud. Please do look at the words, if you would, as I read them. Romans 1.14 says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father, thank you for this passage. I have found great encouragement in my own personal life to be reminded that I am to preach the gospel. I'm to give it out. I'm to sow the gospel. I'm to explain it. I'm to tell other people about it. I'm to be a witness of the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, of its power in our lives, of the grace of God to change our eternal destiny and the, your grace to transform us. So as we look at this passage this morning, make us alive again to these wonderful truths, many of which will be old to us, but we are like householders, bringing both things, treasures that are old and new. And I thank you, Father, that we can be reminded of truths that we already know and, and make us alive and, and encourage us and push us forward and motivate us in 2023 to love our neighbor by get, getting the gospel to them as you give us opportunity. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's do a little bit of review. Review is good. And this whole series, Devotional Disciplines, Habits of Righteousness, they're intended not to be one-time things, not something you do this week and then you forget about it, but to be habits that you're building. And um, we took a step away during the month of December Last week also, as we looked at other things, now we're getting back to that same series. It began all the way back in September, and the very first discipline we talked about was the discipline of prayer. I was talking with one of you recently, and, and there's 
if we sort of break prayer into two, two bits here, there's the instant prayer. Something happens. You realize, hey, I need God's help. And you pray in that moment and God blesses that. That's good. But I'm talking about the discipline of concentrated prayer, intentional prayer, where you set aside time out of your busy day. And no one is busier than you mothers with small children, but you set aside time to, to pray and to ask for God's help and to praise him and to thank him. So I don't need a response, but just want to, you to think this is not exactly rhetorical, but I don't need you to raise your hand. Don't need you to answer out loud. This first week of 2023, how is that discipline of prayer? How has that been for you? If you go back to Sunday, how much time did you spend in prayer or Monday or Tuesday? Now, if you're like me, I've had to, holidays are terrible for these disciplines because people come over and you want to spend time with those people and your schedule is messed up and you eat way too many starches and sugars. And so your body just doesn't respond the same way it normally does. And I have to be intentional and say, listen, I'm not going to just let this slide. I'm going to work at this and get off to a good start in 2023. So how has your time of prayer been? The second discipline we talked about back in September also was the discipline of meditation, where you take a scripture, either you memorize it or you write it out on a card, and then you just think about it over and over and over and over. You look at that card or you have it memorized, and so you meditate it and you think about what it means, think about how you apply it. You're, you're, you're letting scripture saturate your soul. That's what you're doing. How's your discipline of meditation been in this first week of the new year? We talked about the discipline of giving. Giving as the Lord lays it on your heart. It's at least 10% of what he blesses you with, but many of us give more. And giving that money to God's church first, but also as he lays it on your, part, on your heart to be a blessing to others. Your discipline of giving. We talked about the discipline of responding to the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And I mentioned when we talked about this several times, responding to the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is not me getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit getting more of me. It's me yielding to the Spirit in, in, in that response of saying yes to the Holy Spirit. We talked about the discipline of thanksgiving, being thankful. I hope you've taken some time, even in the last few weeks, as either you came to the end of 2022 or as 2023 kicked off, to remind yourself of all the good things God has done for you and then to thank him for that. That's the discipline of thanksgiving. Then we talked about the discipline of victorious Christian living. The Christian life is a struggle. I think one, one mistake, one, one misconception that young Christians often have is that they think as they grow in spiritual maturity, life will become easier. But the truth is often our circumstances become more difficult as we grow in maturity. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, how many of you have ever made a habit of going to the gymnasium not to talk to your constituents, but to lift weights? Okay, good. Did you start out curling 50 pounds? No. In fact, most of us never get to curling 50 pounds. You probably start with a much lighter weight, maybe 10 pounds, 5 pounds, yeah, maybe 15. I don't know. You start out with a small weight. But if that's all you ever do, 10, 15 pounds, just over and over and over and over and over, are you going to grow much muscle? Now, you might have toned muscles, right? But you're not going to, you're going to need to lift a little bit heavier weights 
I point to Billy because he's my resident expert, not because he only lifts 10 or 15 pounds all the time, but because he's my resident expert about lifting weights. If you want to know how to lift weights right, you talk to Billy, which is funny because his dad will argue with him about what the right way is. But anyway, leaving all that aside, you need to progress and lift more weight. You know, God does the same thing for us. As we grow in spiritual maturity, he orchestrates our circumstances to make it just a little bit more challenging. The trials get cranked up just a little bit more. The irritations in our life become a little bit more pronounced. God is not, he doesn't hate you. He's not trying to make your life hard. What he's doing is he's developing Christ-like character through your circumstances. So the Christian life is always going to be a struggle. In fact, if you're not struggling with anything in your life, I wonder if you're a Christian. Or if you are a Christian, if you've just settled into a, into a complacency so that God says, you know, there's nothing to help this person with at this time until they decide they're going to step up their commitment. And of course, does our enemy, does our adversary attack the Christian who's doing nothing? No. So if you're not struggling, I think there's probably something wrong. All of us have struggles. Your struggles are different than my struggles, but we all have struggles. It's not that the Christian life is not a struggle. The Christian life should be a victorious struggle. That is, you should be seeing victory daily over the circumstances and the irritations and the, and the struggles in your life. So we talked about that. How has that been the first week of 2023? Have you seen victories over your struggles? Now, some years ago, I was teaching about some of these disciplines to a smaller group, and uh, as you know, I like to ask questions, particularly on Sunday nights. I try to ask more questions than I do on Sunday mornings and get responses. And I was asking questions about what other areas of our lives do we need to be disciplined about? And one of my friends, and I mentioned he was a friend because he wasn't doing this to, to make me look bad or to make it hard for me, but he raised his hand and I said, called on him. And he said, you know, we need to be disciplined about witnessing. And I hadn't thought about that, so I'm scratching my head. But you know, he's right. If we don't if we are not intentional about being a witness, if we don't work at sowing the gospel, guess how easy it is to just never get it done. So let me ask you, in the past month, today is January 8th, since December 8th, how many times have you had the chance to explain the gospel and taken that opportunity to explain the gospel? Now, in a month's time, it seems that somewhere along the line, some, sometime you, you should have had an opportunity. Maybe it was as simple as giving out a track to that person at the store, the person who was standing next to you. Maybe it was someone at work who came up to you and said, hey, you're so cheerful. Now, I don't know why you have so much joy. And you said, well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. But there should have been a time where you are giving out the gospel. You're explaining the gospel. You're preaching the gospel. There, in a few months, there are going to be tomatoes in these local fields. I like tomatoes, and I like to eat tomatoes. I like a lot of the products that tomatoes get turned into. So I'm always glad to see the tomatoes. And when I, whenever I have planted tomatoes personally, I always buy them in the little uh, plastic containers, and they're already a couple inches tall. But you realize tomatoes don't start a couple inches tall. They start as seeds. 
And a couple of years ago, my wife was given some heirloom tomato seeds and was given some instructions. And so about February, if I remember right, she planted those seeds in the house. We didn't plant them outside. It wouldn't have worked, but planted them in the house, started taking a little uh, spray bottle. We'd miss them a little bit every morning. And pretty soon, sure enough, these little plants came up. That's the nurseryman's job. You say, where does all the two and three inch plants come from? Well, there's nurseries and they plant the seeds. If they never, if the nurseryman never plants the seed, nothing will ever grow. And it's the same with our gospel witness. If we never talk about Jesus Christ, then don't be surprised if nobody responds. If nobody says, yes, you're right, I'm a sinner. Hey, this is good news. But we've got to do the planting. If we never plant, then we're never going to reap. Now, don't be discouraged either if you've done a lot of planting. And boy, I tell you what, some years it seems like I've just planted and planted and planted and planted and nothing grew. And in my flesh and in my despair, I'd say to my wife, look, this is a failure. I remember telling my wife, this is a failure. And she always say, you're right. No, I'm just teasing. She doesn't do that to me. She would remind me that we don't always reap right away. Some of you have seen the glory of planting a seed years before and someone else comes along on water and someone else comes along on water. And then years later, you find out somebody became a Christian and they're growing in Christ. Maybe they even have a, have an, a unique ministry and you rejoice to hear about it, never having expected that when you planted the seed. But we have to plant the seed. We have to sow the gospel. We have to be a witness. We have to be soul winners. We have to be soul conscious. Now, I imagine, I, I, I don't have biblical basis for this, so this, some of this comes out of my imagination when I'm about to tell you, but I imagine that, we do know this, that Paul had opponents, he had detractors, people who criticized Paul, and I imagine that one of the criticisms that Paul might have faced at this point as he's writing this book is some people were saying, you know, Paul, your gospel works really well for the Jewish people that when you go to the synagogues, and, and yeah, the people that have had some exposure to the Jews, but your gospel is not going to work in Rome. Your gospels worked really well in these provinces, you know, in, in Asia Minor and in, in, and in uh, Syria. Yeah, maybe you crossed over into a KI. Yeah, that, that's fine for those uh, local yokels. But, but the elite and the educated that sit at the center of the Roman Empire in the capital of Rome, they're not going to respond. And this is what Paul says. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now, he had not yet been to Rome. He hadn't gotten there yet. So he hadn't had a chance to preach the gospel. But you can see in this passage his confidence that wherever he goes and he preaches the gospel, that the power of God is going to be seen. So let's get into the text here. Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. The first thing that Paul says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. What does it mean to be a debtor? It means that you have an obligation. He says, I am a debtor. I have an obligation to get the gospel out, not just to the Jews, but also to the Greeks and to the barbarians, not just to the religious people, to the wise and to the unwise. Now, why would he choose the Greeks? Well, let me ask you a rhetorical question here. What language is Paul writing this book in? He's writing it in, it's rhetorical, it's okay. It's a Greek. Now, Paul was not a Greek, and the Romans weren't Greeks. So why is he writing it in Greek? 
Well, because the Greek was the common language, the, the uh, trade language, if you will, of the day. Anyone who was anybody who had learned past just their language they learned growing up had learned to speak Greek. The Greeks were the cultural drivers of their day. Even the Romans told Greek myths and retold Greek myths. Paul will quote in Acts, Paul quotes uh, a Greek poet. In the book of Titus, he refers to a comment that a Greek poet has made. Why? Because the Greek, Greeks are the cultural center of, the, of Paul's world. And here's what Paul is saying. I have an obligation even to get to the cultural elites of our society with the gospel. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a big fan of hanging out with cultural elites. I just feel like they have a different mindset than I do. But Paul is convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be preached to the cultural elites as much as it needs to be preached to anyone. I get a feeling that Paul would have been the guy who goes to San Francisco to start a church or goes to UC Davis campus to preach the gospel. And some of us think, why would you go there? Because the truth is, Paul is convinced, and I want to convince you today, that the gospel is powerful to everyone that believes. Not just to a small subset, not to just conservative Americans, not just Americans who look like you and me, but to everyone that believes. He says, I'm a debtor. I have an obligation to the Greeks, to the ones who drive society, and I have an obligation to the barbarians. Now, who are the barbarians? These are the people that are outside of society. In many cases, they live beyond the borders of the Roman Empire. In some cases, they've snuck across the border or they fought their way across the border and they're considered, considered to be interlopers. He says, not only do I have a responsibility, an obligation to preach to those people who are at the very center of the empire, I have an obligation to preach to those people who are beyond the boundaries of the empire. So he's, he's not saying the Greeks and the barbarians only and everyone else, no. He's saying from the very center of the empire to as far away from the empire as you can get, I'm a debtor. I have an obligation to preach the gospel. Let me remind you that you too have an obligation to preach the gospel. I don't know where in that spectrum you fall. If you're in the, in the middle of, of the, the cultural elites or whether you're on the very outside, in fact, beyond what we consider the outsides of society or anywhere in between, you and I have an obligation. We are debtors to preach the gospel. He says, I'm a debtor to the wise, the people who have sense. I'm a debtor to the unwise, the people who have no sense. I don't know about you. I have to admit from time to time as I'm walking in the flesh, I see someone and I think, because I look at them, because I'm a sinner just like you, I think they will never receive the gospel. But we don't know, do we? They could be the unwise and receive the gospel. They could be the wise and receive the gospel. I've looked at other people and think, just talking with them, they are so hyper-intelligent, they'll never believe the gospel because their own intelligence will get in their way. But Paul says, listen, I'm a debtor to the wise and to the unwise and to everybody in between. And I want to tell you this, I want to tell you this morning that we're a debtor, not primarily to our neighbor, although we'll come back to that, but we're a debtor to the Savior who's already paid the price for the salvation. And we're just supposed to get out the good news. 1 John 2, 2 says, and he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
Jesus Christ already paid the price for sin. There's no more price to be paid. He doesn't need to make another sacrifice later. The sacrifice has been made. We have the good news that the work is completed. Now let me imagine, let's imagine for a minute, that somebody tells you that they went down to the local dealership, whatever dealership you can imagine, and they bought you a new car. They've bought you a new car, and all you have to do to take that new car, to claim that new car, is go down to the dealership, tell them what your name is, and they'll show them your, your driver's license, your ID, and they're going to put the keys to that new car in your hands. Carly says, sign me up. And Christy says, no. No, seriously, would you go and take that new car? I think you would. I mean, hey, somebody else has already paid for it. You might as well claim it and drive it. Now, I know there's certain cars you'd say, well, the maintenance on those cars is really expensive or the insurance. Okay, let's imagine that that wasn't a hindrance. Wouldn't you take a car that's already been paid for? Now, we're not the people taking the car, though, in this parable, this illustration. We're the person with the good news that the car has already been paid for. You just have to claim it. Now, are there going to be some people that say, no, thank you, I don't want that? Yeah. In fact, if, if I had to register the most common response to the gospel, as I, as I explain it to people, the c- most common response falls into the category of, no, I'm good. We're not good. <laughs> we like to think of ourselves as, no, I'm good. But you know what? My job is not to convince people that they're not good. My job is to sow the gospel. I'm a debtor. I'm obligated. I'm obligated to sow the gospel because Jesus Christ, the Savior, he's already made the payment. But I'm also obligated, I'm a debtor to my neighbor because this is the most important thing that my neighbor needs to know. We're going to to have a theme this year of loving our neighbor. There's a lot of good things we can do for our neighbor, and I hope you will do good things for your neighbor. But the most important thing we can do for our neighbor is to give them the good news that Jesus Christ has already died, rose again, paid for their sins. And that they can claim that, that they can know that they have eternal life, that that life, as we read, is in Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing that my neighbor needs to know. I can feed my hungry neighbor and he'll be satisfied for a while. But if he dies and he goes to hell, have I really helped him? Now, I'm not saying don't feed the homeless. I'm asking you to consider that along with feeding the homeless, you need to give them the gospel. You can house, I said, feed the homeless, feed the hungry. You can house the homeless. You can let people who have no home into your home and share your home with them. But if you don't tell them the good news, can we say we genuinely care about them? Maybe you have a neighbor that's suffering from grief and depression. Boy, a lot of people like that today. They have no hope. They're despairing. They they don't even know what their lives are about. And I hope you'll have a word of encouragement for them. But if you give them a word of encouragement that brightens one day for them and and they look up and they're, yes, thank you, that's great, and you never explain the gospel to them, you never sow that seed, can we say we genuinely care about their eternity? Now, going back to the illustration we had at the beginning, we're like the nurseryman who has all that soil in his greenhouse. He's got all the pots ready, all the little plastic uh, pots at the soil. He has all that ready, but he decides, you know what? I'm just not going to put the seeds in the pots today. 
If he never puts the seed in the pot, he'll never get any crop. And just like that, if we never sow the gospel, we shouldn't be surprised that no one ever responds. We're a debtor. We have an obligation to tell people the truth. But secondly, he says, I am ready, verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am ready. That's preparation. Notice he says, so as much as in me is. Paul can't control his outward circumstances. He has never made it to Rome. That's true. He can't control that. But what he can control is whether he is personally prepared. Now, let me say this, and I'm not going to develop this fully this morning, but gospel sowing, or if you want to call it witnessing, or you want to call it soul winning, gospel sowing is just as much about who you are as what you know. What, I, what do I mean by that? Well, regarding preparation, who you are is more important to gospel sowing than what you know. Because you can know a lot of stuff. You can know the gospel. You can explain the gospel better than I can. And if you don't love your neighbor enough to give them anything, it doesn't help you, does it? You can know a whole lot of stuff. You can be the greatest apologist that there ever was. You can know the answer to every Buddhist argument and every Hindu argument and every atheist argument and every agnostic argument. And the people that say they're agnostic atheists and the ones that say there's atheist agnostics, you can know all the answers. If you don't care enough to tell anyone, does it do us any good? So when we talk about preparation and readiness, I'm not solely talking about head knowledge. Make sure you get head knowledge. I'm talking about who we are as Christians. Do we love people enough to give them the gospel? And I've been personally challenged about this recently. Because I've been walking around a couple of times now in the last couple of months with one of you who is constantly, constantly, constantly passing out tracts. And I've been personally challenged. Do I care enough to hand someone a tract and say, here, this is about Jesus Christ. He loves you. Now, they may throw it away. They may put it in their pocket and never remember it. goes through the wash. I don't know. But what is our job to sow the gospel? Are we doing it? So preparation, so as much as in me is, who are you? Are you a person who's going to care enough to share the gospel? But you do need there's one more thing I want to say about that. I almost got ahead of myself. When I was a boy in the 1980s, the average, the median age. Now, you understand median and mean when it comes to average are slightly different. Median means if you take all the people above that age and all the people below that age, this would be the age right in the middle. So when I was a boy, the median age for pastors was 44 years old. And today, the median age for pastors, today, it's 58 years old. And the discussion was whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Here's what I want to point out. Young people, maybe God's calling some of you to give your life to sowing the gospel. That's all. You get paid to do it. Wouldn't that be great? Are you ready for that? And as a young man, knowing that God was calling me to the mission field, I, I went to a missionary. I said, hey, I'm just a teenager. I'm still just in high school. But what can I do now to prepare myself to be a missionary later? And he said, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase his words, but he said, learn to sow the gospel now. If you don't sow the gospel where you are, 
What makes you think, he said, if you don't sow the gospel where you are, what makes you think that you'll be a gospel sower later? So here's my point to you about so as much as in me is. That gospel sowing is just as much about who we are as what we know. Every single one of you can be a gospel sower if you just determine you're going to be a gospel sower. Now, you may not know all the stuff you need to know. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But it starts with what your heart is. And some of you young people need to realize you don't need to wait till you're my age to become a gospel sower. Now, I'm not 58 yet. I just had a birthday. I'm not 58 yet. It's getting closer every year. But you don't have to wait until you're middle-aged. That's what I like to think of myself, middle-aged. You don't have to wait until you're middle-aged to be a gospel sower. You can be a gospel sower at 10 years old, 11 years old. Wasn't there a, a, a young girl in Naaman's house who was a slave who had the courage to tell Naaman's wife, hey, I know somebody who could heal Naaman. What is sharing the gospel but telling someone, hey, I know someone who can heal your sin problem? Are we ready? Is it in us to preach the gospel? He says, I am, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? I'd like to remind you that the gospel is not a plan. The gospel is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy, I know whom I have believed in. He doesn't say, I know what I have believed in. He says, I know whom I have believed in. The gospel is Jesus Christ. Hold your place in Romans 1 and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verses 1 through 4 give us the most concise definition of the gospel in the Bible. I find myself going back to it constantly. If you're not familiar with this term, the gospel, and you want to think about that this week and meditate on that this week, write these verses down. First Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read them to you. Let's think about what they tell us about the gospel. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. That's how I know this is a concise definition of the gospel. Because Paul says, listen, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is that I preached unto you. Which also you have received and wherein you stand. By which also you are saved. If you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And here's the concise definition starting in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose the third day, according to the scriptures. The gospel is very simple. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose the third day, according to the scriptures. If you can remember those three points, Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose the third day, according to the scriptures, you can explain the gospel. Now, there's a phrase in there that I don't want you to overlook, because this is really key. For our sins. Christ didn't die to show us how to suffer correctly. He didn't die because he was persecuted. He didn't die to show us a better way. Christ died for our sins because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And sin is anything I think, anything I say, anything I do that breaks God's law. That's what sin is. It can be a lie that you tell to someone. It can be uh, it can be envy and greed, wanting something that does not belong to you. It can be hatred that you Hold in your heart. Nobody else knows about it, but you know about it. It can be worry. It can be lust. It can be, it can be grieving somebody, harsh words that, that hurt another person. 
And as I go through sin after sin after sin, if you're feeling the weight of guilt, let me assure you, God doesn't want you to feel the weight of guilt. He wants you to be free from guilt. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. That's why Jesus rose again. So we don't have to deal with our own sin. We don't have to bear that guilt. And boy, I wish I could do better. The Bible says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day. Now, I'm going to have more to say about that. If you are one of those people that you're not ready to explain that to someone, then let me encourage you. That's what this coming Saturday, 10 o'clock in the morning is for. Because I realized that there was a point in my Christian life where I was like, I just, what would I say? And someone said, listen, you want to be ready? I'll teach you. And I did two things. And I'm going to encourage you to do two things in 2023. Number one, get some teaching. Yes, it starts with who you are, but you do have to know a few things. You come Saturday morning and I can teach you. But here's the second thing. Go with someone who knows what they're doing. It's amazing to see it in action. I say it. I shouldn't say it because it's amazing to see the Holy Spirit in action. It's not anything I do. It's not anything you do. But I've been there when someone else is explaining the gospel. And it's like a light bulb goes on in the person's head. And all of a sudden, yes, that's the best news I've ever heard, they say. We get all excited, and whether they pray or not is not the point. They believe. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. They believe, and it transforms their life. Boy, it changes their life. That's exciting. You say, I'm not really sure how how that works. I tell you what, do two things for me. Number one, come next Saturday morning. 10 o'clock, right here, we'll meet in this room. Number two, here's the second thing, commit to going out with someone in 2023. I've got some ladies, they're, they're really good at explaining the gospel. In fact, frankly, I think they're better than I am at it. I'll, I'll pair you up with one of them if you're a lady, and you ladies can go out. You say, well, Saturday is not the best time for me. Okay, if you'll make one Saturday open for me this coming Saturday morning, some of these ladies, they go out during the week, mornings, afternoons, some even in the evenings. I'm sure they'd be glad to take you. You're a man. I've got several men. Again, some of them do better at explaining the gospel than I do. I'd be glad to pair you up. Many of them go Saturday mornings. Some of them go in the evenings. But I'm sure we will make time if you want to go with us and be a witness. Are you ready? Are you ready? At the end of most services, we give an invitation. And I tell people, if you're not sure that you have eternal life and that your sins are forgiven, if you'll come to the front, I'll match you up with someone who will take a Bible and show you from God's word how you can know your sins are forgiven. What if someone came to the front? Would you be ready if I came to you and I said, okay, you take this person? I did that to someone about a month and a half ago. Matt Galvin was here. Some of you remember. The young man came forward for salvation. And I grabbed someone. And I said, hey, would you take this person and and the mother, because it was a young man, to this classroom over here where it'll be quiet, take your Bible, show this young man how he can know his sins are forgiven and he's on his way to heaven. Boy, I'm sure glad that person said yes instead of saying, no, pastor, I'm not ready. But are you ready? Are you ready? I know Matt Galvin is going to come again in August. He and I have already talked. And he's already told me a little bit about what his plans are. At one point, we want to give an invitation. And Matt Galvin and I are praying. We are expecting God to move. What if 10 people came forward? 
Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, there's so-and-so and so-and-so and so. There's enough people. I, they'll, they'll never be needed. No, we want to get to the point as a church where you're all needed. Isn't that what this new building is about? It's not to be comfortable. By the way, I learned this term, and I'm going to be using it all year, so I'm going to expose you to it. There are hospital churches. Hospital churches bring in the sick and give them healing and train them to be healers. And there's hospice churches. You know what a hospice church is? It makes you comfortable and keeps taking your money until you die. That's a hospice church. We are not a hospice church. You say, Pastor, I I don't know about explaining the gospel. I'm not comfortable. Listen, I'm not here to make you comfortable. And if you find a church that makes you comfortable, you need to run for your life. Because they're just going to make you comfortable. They're going to keep taking your money. And like he mentions, it's going to be the church at Sardis. There's a few names there. Don't let that be you. If you're not ready, commit to two things. Saturday morning and going with someone. Now you say, absolutely, I just can't come this Saturday. If you let me know when a good time for you is, I will schedule it for that time. Because I don't want any of you to have an excuse. I'm not ready, Pastor. I'm not ready. But notice the last thing he says, I... I'm not ashamed. I'm going to use the word here, determination. When it comes to sowing the gospel, nothing beats being intentional about it. There's a saying, I hate it because it's so right. What gets scheduled gets done. What gets scheduled gets done. I've got a car that needs an oil change. You know why the oil hasn't been changed yet? I haven't scheduled it. And it's not going to get done until I schedule it. And it seems like invariably, whatever day or time I schedule it, it's the wrong day and time. There's something else to do. But I still have to schedule it. And if you want to be a gospel sower, you've got to schedule it. You've got to be intentional about it. That's why we have times as a church that we go out. But you don't have to come with us. But here's some other ways you can be intentional. How about a coworker? Could you invite a coworker to eat lunch with you and share the gospel with him? Could you meet with them after work? I don't mean take your boss's time to be a gospel sower when you ought to be working. But there's times during work, after work, could you be a gospel sower at work? How about your neighbor? Do you know your neighbor's name? Really, that's where it starts. Now, some of you do. I've been with some of you. You drive down the street waving to everyone in the summer. Hey, so-and-so. Hey, good to see you. Sometimes you stop. I'm in the car. We're trying to go somewhere and you stop and you want to have a conversation with your neighbor. Please keep that up. That's great. But if you don't know your neighbors, get to know your neighbors. There's a fellow in this church. He prays for each of his neighbors by name. Some of them are saved. Some of them are not. He knows which ones are saved. He's praying for their growth. He knows which ones are not. He's praying for their salvation. You've got to be determined. You've got to have a plan. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. You're going to be like the nurseryman. And come April, come May, people are going to come to you and say, where are my little two or three inch plants? And you're going to say, well, I don't have any because I never took time to plant the seed. Don't be that person. Be determined. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Again, we can make this a whole sermon. Let me just share it with you this way. Just yesterday, I heard again of someone else who took his own life. Not here at our church just peripherally to our church, but he took his own life. Why are so many people committing suicide? Because they have no hope. 
this was crazy. I was signing up for TED Talks this week. It's not important what that is. But they said, why are you signing up for TED Talks? They only had about seven or eight uh, answers to that question. And one of the questions was, I am searching for hope. If you're searching for hope on TED Talks, you're lost. We have hope. We're not ashamed because the answer to the tragic deaths of despair in our society is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that. How about the addictions of our day? I'm going to mention what I think is one of the most overlooked addictions of our day, and that's pornography. There's people who are addicted to alcohol, people who are addicted to drugs. What's the answer to addiction? Jesus Christ. I've seen it. If you've spent any time around hospital churches, you've seen it too. People who the world writes off as an incurable drunkard, an incurable addict, and the Holy Spirit gets into their heart. (laughs) Things change. I'm convinced that the answer to the addictions of our day is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm more and more burdened about the families that are being literally just torn apart by the pressures of our society. Fathers, mothers can't even stand each other. So they're living in different places, sometimes different states, barely talking to each other. And the children are caught in the middle. What's the answer to families being torn apart in the United States? Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced, you can try to convince me otherwise, but I'm convinced that's why I'm still married today because the grace of God changed me from the inside out. So I'm not ashamed. What other answer is there? A new government program? You realize we've had government programs for families for decades. Has it made things better or worse? You realize there's government programs for addictions for for decades. Has it made things better or worse? It's really sad because we do, we do, we have the answer and sometimes we act so fearful to tell other people as if it's nonsense to them. Well, it may be nonsense to them. It may be nonsense to them, but it is truth. I'm not ashamed because the answer to the families torn apart by selfishness in in our day is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says right here that it's powerful to everyone that believeth. It is the power of God unto salvation. Remember earlier I said, some people probably said, I know Paul had opponents. I know Paul had critics. I don't know if they said this, but I imagine they said something like, well, yeah, what Paul says works here in Corinth. Yeah, it it works here in Philippi. I'm in Ephesus, yeah, that's good. Antioch, sure, but it's not going to work in Rome. And Paul says, I am not ashamed because I'm sure that this is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. It's powerful enough because it's the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone. Again, it's not just people who look like me. It's not just conservative Americans. You know what it is? It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And that's the reason we ought to give out the gospel indiscriminately. That is, don't look at someone and think, now, are they likely to believe or not? Yeah, they're likely to believe. I'll talk to them. And then look at someone else and say, they're never going to believe. I'm not going to give them a track because you don't know who the believing will be. So let's give out the gospel. Let's give a track to the person that has multiple piercings. They may get saved. Who knows? 
Let's give out the, 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 the gospel. Explain the gospel. We're not sure if the person's a, a man or we're not sure if the person's a woman. They could become a Christian. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. The gospel's power to save transcends culture. It transcends language. It transcends intelligence because he says, I'm a debtor both to the wise and to the unwise. It's the power of God to everyone that believes. So are you, are you personally determined to sow that seed? Are you unashamed to put that seed in the ground and see what God does with it? Now I have good news for you. I have good news for you. And that is, it is the gospel. That's the best news. But I have another piece of good news for you. And that is, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 5 and verse 45, Behold, lift up your eyes and look, for the fields are white already to harvest. They're already ready. I just need some laborers, Jesus said to his disciples. I just need some laborers to go out and, and cut that grain and gather it up. I want you to pray. If you're determined as I am, that 2023 is going to be the year where we're going to love our neighbor and do a better job of getting the gospel out. I want you to pray with me that Elmira Baptist Church will look at the people out there and see fields that are white to harvest. Now, we're, we're going to do some sowing, and we're going to do some watering, and we're not always going to reap. But also, there are going to be some victories. And people are going to be saved, and they are going to be transformed from the inside out. Would it make a difference to you if, if I could guarantee that every person you explain the gospel to, every time you planted a gospel seed, if I could guarantee you that every single one of those people would become Christians, would it make a difference in how you sowed the gospel? I know for myself it's much easier to sow the gospel when you see fruit. It's hard to sow the gospel when you don't see fruit. But whether we see fruit or not, we need to be obligated we need to be prepared and we need to be unashamed to plant that seed. So here's the three challenges from this message. Challenge number one, carry tracks and hand them out. Now there's three problems. Number one, most of us don't carry tracks. So even when we think to hand them out, we don't have one. The second problem is we carry tracks, but we convince ourselves that that person doesn't want one. And the third problem is we're just lazy. Let's carry tracks. This is my commitment to you as your pastor. Not when I'm at church, not when you visit me at home, but if I'm not at home and I'm not at church, you just feel free to ask, Pastor, do you have a track? Because I am determined to do a better job of carrying tracks in 2023 and passing them out. But if I don't have them, I can't pass them out. Now, I'm not going to give you my tracks because you're already a Christian. And I don't want you to use me as your mule carrying your tracks. You carry your own tracks. But hold me accountable. Pastor, you have a track? And you carry tracks. There are lots of tracks out there. One of the most, one of the, I've watched this time and time again. One of the most successful tracks out there has a smiley face on it. And I've seen a lot of people turn down my tracks, but I've, I've never seen anyone turn down one of those smiley face tracks. Now, one of you has a story about one time it happened, but it is really, really rare. Everybody likes a smiley face. Grab three or four and tell God this week you're going to carry them with you. You're going to carry them in your purse, ladies. You're going to carry them in your pockets, men. And you're going to be ready to hand out a track. Number one commitment. Number two, be ready to explain the gospel. 
If you're already ready, great. Praise the Lord. Fantastic. You can move on to step challenge number three. But if you're not ready, would you commit to be here Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, this room right here? I'm going to explain to you. I'm even going to give you a little pamphlet. You're going to take and you're going to use that to explain the gospel to a coworker or a neighbor or family member or a friend. It isn't rocket science. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. We're a debtor to both the wise and the unwise. Would you commit to being prepared? If you are prepared, here's challenge number three. Would you schedule time regularly to get the gospel out? Now, when I say schedule time regularly, I want to be really clear. That doesn't mean you have to go when I'm going. I go on Saturday mornings, 10 o'clock, but you can go another time. But would you schedule time? Now, I encourage you to go with a partner. So some of you may need to find someone who can go at your time. Maybe it's in a morning that's not Saturday. Maybe it's uh, some evening of the week, although a lot of evenings I can be free. Afternoons, if you will come to me with a time that works for you, I will work with you. I'll go with you. I'll work with you to find you a partner. But will you commit to scheduling time? Now, again, it doesn't have to only be knocking on doors of people you've never met. That's one way that we get the gospel out here at Elmira Baptist Church, and I look forward to doing it in 2023. It could be scheduling time to meet your neighbor and explain the gospel to your neighbor. It could be a family member. Many of you have family members that are not yet Christians. Would you schedule time? Share with me what that time is so I can pray for you and your family member specifically, and then do it. Some of you have coworkers. You could meet them on a lunch break. You can meet them after work. If you work the swing shift, you can meet them before work. But would you schedule time? Because what gets scheduled gets done. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. But do you believe that? Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you've done all the work. Jesus Christ paid the price. We don't have to go out and and find more grace. We don't have to work harder to earn our own forgiveness or work hard to earn someone else's forgiveness. The good news is it's paid for. Now, Father, burden me and burden the members of Elmira Baptist Church to be gospel sowers, to carry tracts, to be ready to explain the gospel, to schedule time to explain the gospel. Again, not only to knock doors, but to meet our neighbors to talk to our coworkers, to go to a family member's house, to go, and, and those, Lord, you know are the hardest, to go to a friend's house and say, there is something so important. I, I need, I must, I'm a debtor, I'm obligated to tell you. Burden me with this gospel. Burden my sisters and my brothers in Christ with this gospel so that we go out and we're gospel sowers. Help us, give us eyes to see the fields, they're white, they're white to harvest. There are so many who are despairing. They need hope. It's Jesus Christ. There are so many families being torn apart. There are answers. It's Jesus Christ. There are people who are addicted and there's freedom. It's Jesus Christ. I pray that we'd believe that. We'd live that. And most of all, we'd tell that to them. Bless the one that is preparing to lead a funeral this week. Give him power to explain the gospel clearly. Holy Spirit, work to convict that family of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and turn those that are not yet your children to faith in Jesus Christ. Bless those that have been going out 
during this holiday season and knocking on doors just so they can give the gospel. Bless them, Father. But burden all of us. Open our eyes to see fields that are white to harvest. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.